Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. I'm releasing this episode as Easter weekend begins. For Christians, this is by far our most important remembrance. This is the defining truth of our faith. We believe Jesus Christ lived, died, and bodily rose again on Resurrection Sunday. And if that's true, like we believe it is, based on all kinds of eyewitness accounts and massive shifts in culture and history as a result of his resurrection, then it demonstrates the reality or the veracity that Jesus is God. And if that's true, then he deserves your worship and mine, as well as our highest affection. So with Easter Sunday in mind, I want to talk today about how Christians ought to respond in our increasingly post-Christian culture, especially as that relates to the laws of our land. You probably know that in February, the U.S. House of Representatives voted in favor of the controversial so-called Equality Act. This legislation, filed as H.R. 5, seeks to expand the definition of sex to include sexual orientation and gender identity. And it would revise every title of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to add these categories as new protected classes in the federal code as well. The bill also explicitly states that the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993 cannot be used as a defense or a way to challenge the application of the Equality Act. In other words, no one, no matter your religious beliefs, would be exempt from carrying out the Equality Act or providing protected treatment to anyone with any sexual orientation or gender identity in the same way that, for example, ethnicity and religion are currently protected classes. Obviously, this has Christians who believe that the Bible is the word of God and who want to practice what the Bible teaches in everyday life, in our businesses or classrooms or wherever we go, it has us very concerned. And I see and I hear the fear amongst us. I see all kinds of articles and blogs and podcasts and private conversations wondering what are we going to do? And of course, here I am podcasting myself about this very topic. Fear, though, is not an appropriate response for us who celebrate Easter. I see a lot of fear. I hear a lot of fear amongst us. And that really just cannot be our response. For you and I who follow Christ, we have nothing but hope and confidence in the days ahead. We know who we belong to. We know how the human story will unfold. In this episode of All Things, I want to encourage you and me to remember six truths as our religious liberties potentially erode. So first, the first thing I want to remind you and me is that God is our creator. As such, he has a say on how we humans conduct ourselves. He designed us. Therefore, he knows best. His character is good and his design is good. He did not just create us, plop us on the earth, and walk away. Rather, our God is alive, and he reigns over all things, even right now. That's what we're going to gather to celebrate this weekend. Our God is eternal. Jesus is alive. As creator, God gets to say how we live, and we can trust that his instructions for our life are good because he is good. We only have to look to the cross to remember how good our God is, how much he loves us, to what lengths he'll go to for our flourishing. Coincidentally, Tim Keller just tweeted some words this morning, which I find to be helpful and really applicable here on this subject. Keller said, anything that violates the will of our creator for human behavior is by definition dehumanizing. It is dehumanizing to hate, to lie, 
and to have sex outside of a mutually self-giving lifelong covenant. So in other words, Keller is saying, our creator knows best. God's design is good. It's in our best interest to live according to it. Anything else is dehumanizing. Submission to God's design will always be for the flourishing of all people. So that brings me to my second point. As Christians who know the living God and we have his living word, it will always be good and right for us to seek God's will and God's best for all people. It will always be good for us to know what the Bible says, to seek the heart of God, to know his will and his truth, and to seek to bring God's will on earth as it is in heaven. It's never going to be appropriate or right or God-honoring or humanizing to other image bearers or to ourselves to seek anything less than that on behalf of everyone. So our motive for wanting religious liberty is not that Christianity would be in charge of our nation or that Christianity would reign in our schools or in our towns. Our motive for religious liberty is that all humans would flourish. That's what we want. We want religious liberty for two reasons. First, We want to be able to freely exercise our Christian convictions because that is what is best for ourselves and for everyone else in our sphere, for all humans who God created. But our second motive for religious liberty is that Christians are a people of conscience. We believe it's good and right for all of us to exercise our consciences. Christianity is not a religion of coercion. Our God is not one who forces himself on his people. We believe in the free exercise of thought, word, and deeds in accordance with our deeply held beliefs. We know that it is good not only for Christians to freely exercise their faith, but for everyone to be allowed to freely exercise their faith, because that is in accord with the nature and character of our God. It honors him. It honors others to allow his people to seek him and find him. What I'm getting at here is that our motive for seeking and protecting religious liberty should never be power. Our hope should never be in a person or a law that seems to make Christianity the law of the land. You and I who follow Jesus cannot be after power or status. We are after the good of all people. So it's right and it's good for you and me to advocate for, to vote for, maybe even to peacefully protest for and exercise all that we can for religious liberty. Because religious liberty is good for everyone. We are after the good of the whole society not based on anyone's ethnicity or gender or sexuality or religion or otherwise. We want all people to be free and we want to see the good in all people, the good for all people, even those who oppose us, even those who see the world very differently from us, even those who oppose a biblical worldview. So when you hear news about eroding religious liberty and you grow fearful or you grow angry because you're worried about your own comfort or your own status or even your own rights, I want to admonish you that your motives might be self-serving rather than oriented toward the good of others. So here's my third point. My third point is simply, yes, God really did say that. In these days, it is so tempting to follow the strong current of cultural change. Things are changing so rapidly around us when it comes to religious liberty and sexuality and gender identity. All of those things are changing really quickly. And there is a cost for us to submit ourselves to biblical truths. I think we see that even with churches and Christian universities and organizations, they're increasingly giving in to cultural pressure and elevating societal values even above biblical values. But if we believe in Easter, friends, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if we are redeemed by him, if he is our God, 
then we must know, we must search out his word and believe it and uphold it. Colossians chapter two says, we must see to it that no one takes us captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So even as the world rejects Christianity, even as the world rejects Jesus, we must with his, his help abide in him alone. So I know that the Bible says some things that do not jive well with 2021. I know that scripture runs exactly opposite to so many of our current events and cultural trends, but God really did say that and God really is good. And so submitting to his truth is for our good and for our flourishing, even when it's hard. My fourth point is that when you made up your mind to follow Jesus rather than the world, you are likely to be insulted, rejected, and maybe even persecuted. That is the reality that always has been, and I think we're feeling it increasingly now. When we follow Jesus, we are going to suffer something. The Apostle Peter, who endured violent persecution, he was even ultimately murdered for his faith. Church history says he was actually crucified upside down because he didn't count himself worthy to be crucified right side up like his Lord and Savior Jesus. But this man, Peter, he exhorted his brothers and sisters in Christ. He said this in 1 Peter chapter 4, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. He says, don't be afraid of suffering. Suffering's not the problem. Suffering is a chance to glorify God and identify with Jesus. But I know I certainly run away from suffering. I don't want to suffer. But Peter says, no, come. It's a chance to identify with Jesus. But he clarified too in this. He said, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. That's 1 Peter 4, 15. So he's being clear. He's clarifying. It's a blessing to suffer for what is good and beautiful and true. It's a blessing to be persecuted for the name of Jesus, but it's no reward if you suffer for being a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. In other words, Peter's saying, be persecuted for the right reasons. It's of no value to you if you suffer because you're a jerk. So my encouragement to you and me is let's not cower from championing and living according to the eternal word of God. Let's not be like waves of the sea, as James says. Let's not be double-minded. Let's not be unstable. But at the same time, let us not be unkind or arrogant. Let us not display any hint of hate. We, above all people, should walk in humility because we know that it is by grace through faith that we are saved, not by anything that we have done or conjured up on our own. Furthermore, Jesus calls us to love our enemies in Matthew chapter 5. He says, bless those who persecute you in Romans chapter 12. So let's make sure, friends, it's the word of God alone that is offensive not any kind of pride or arrogance or haughty attitude on our part. And I'm totally preaching to myself here. I, above most people, all people, I am tempted to be rude. I am tempted to be self-preserving and self-elevating, but that is not the way of Jesus. Let us abide in Jesus and lay ourselves down for others. I know the cost could be huge. I know we could lose finances, business, education, friends, status, even family, a secure future. But like the Israelites before us, we have to choose this day whom we will serve. Who will we serve? Will we choose to serve Jesus or will we choose to serve the culture around us? Like I said earlier, we know how the human story progresses from here. We know the king. We serve him. We belong to him. We know that the new heavens and the new earth are our future reality. 
What is it in the scheme of eternity to lose a business or to lose status or even to lose a loved one or to go to prison? You and I must develop a strong theology, a robust doctrine of losing worldly status for the sake of heavenly gain. This brings me to my fifth point. My fifth point is that God's kingdom is upside down. The way of the cross is not one of political clout and power. The way of the cross of Christ is of humility, meekness, and shame. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. He came to give his life as ransom for many, which is what it says in Mark chapter 10. It was through Jesus's humility, through his shame, as he hung naked on the cross, that God exalted him to the highest place so that one day at his name, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Philippians 2. The way of Jesus, the gospel itself, is subversive. It's true that Jesus reigns in heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father even right now. But when he was on earth, he was despised, rejected, and was well acquainted with grief. Jesus Christ's supremacy came through his humility. And he says to you and me, if you want to follow after me, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew chapter 16. Fellow Christians, our way to greatness is through loss, humility, and sacrifice, not power, not fame, not fortune. The church in Iran bears witness to this truth. I talked about the church in Iran on All Things episode 31 back in 2019. Iran, as you know, is a Muslim-majority country, and it's even known for supporting and exporting Islamic terrorism. Iran is also home, shockingly maybe to you, to the world's fastest growing Christian church. The church in Iran grows not through power, not through strong leadership, not through a public witness even. They don't have beautiful church buildings that serve delicious coffee and offer you a buffet of things every Sunday morning. The church in Iran grows underground through the authentic witness of Christ followers who risk literally everything to follow their savior. And most Christians in Iran are women. They are believers who are genuinely willing to offer their bodies as living sacrifices. They know full well that they may be raped, beaten, and murdered for their faith in Jesus. Their allegiance to Christ has been born out of hardship and persecution. We in the West have so much to learn from them. Perhaps one day we will have the joy and honor of deepening our faith in the same way. May we not shrink back from that, friends. May we remember the cross. May we be emboldened by the example of our siblings in Christ around the globe. My sixth and final point today is this. Jesus is the light of the world, and we who follow him have the light of life. And God will use our light so that others might find him, know him, and glorify him. That will happen. This is a promise of our risen God. He is light, we carry light, and we are meant to shine so that others might see him. Yes, you and I might be mocked, we might be persecuted, maybe one day we might even find ourselves harmed for our faith. But as was so clear in the first century church, and as we see even now in Iran, the light of Christ is what draws people in. So my encouragement to you and to me is as religious liberty erodes in our nation, let us be warm, full of love, Let us be inviting and tender and kind to all who meet us. Let us be a city on a hill. Let us trust Jesus to shine through us 
for his glory and for the good of all other people. Let's be encouraged that God's will always prevails. So then, friends, let's shine brightly and warmly for the rest of the world. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. That's Matthew 5. If Christ is in you, then you are light in the darkness, a lighthouse in the storm. You are a safe haven for those in need. Jesus is the light of the world and nothing, no legislation, no cultural current, no loss you and I ever endure can change that. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's not keep that light to ourselves. Instead, let's let our light shine before others. Let's be warm and inviting. Let's be a place where people find kindness and compassion and refuge. I truly believe that as religious liberty erodes, the church of Jesus, those who are his true followers, those who are eager to submit themselves to him, will be like a lighthouse in the storm. And people will be drawn to the church. People will be drawn to Christians. They will seek refuge amongst us. Don't shrink back from suffering. Don't shrink back from submitting yourself to your risen Savior, because that is beautiful. That is good, and it's true, and people will find God through you and I, who are unwilling to shrink back. I know the headlines are upsetting. They upset me as well. It's true that legislation and court cases seem to be less and less in favor of people of faith. And it does seem like our First Amendment rights might very well be under threat. But these current cultural trends are limited and they will soon pass away. They are no match for that which lasts forever. The United States is not the kingdom of God. His kingdom, as Luke says, his kingdom has no end. So let's give our eternal king our allegiance. Let's live for his everlasting kingdom alone. Thank you for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.